0: And welcome to Habs Unfiltered, episode 184. I am your host, Blake putt I'm joined now by my co-host, Matt Smith.
1: Good How's evening. You on,
0: Matt? Good, thanks. How are you? Oh, can't complain. No one will listen. Um, for those listening, uh, you'll notice that uh, Treg Wilson is not with us at the moment. Uh, unfortunately, he's had some work issues pop up, so he's taking care of that. Uh, so he won't be with us for this episode, however... In the second half of this episode, we're going to be joined by Kevin Porter. Uh, Kevin Porter is, if anyone's follow, uh, followed me on uh, social media, you'll notice he posts a lot of training videos where he is uh, he's working towards earning a PTO for a professional hockey team. Uh, there's going to be uh, a special on Hollywood uh, uh, Hollywood scene, uh, there, a four part docu series on his his efforts to earn a professional contract. So we'll be talking to Kevin in the second half. <clears throat> so this first half, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some news around the league. Uh, training camps are opening up. So players are going to look at and a little bit of chatting about the prospects and some background to that. But uh, we'll start with the news about Uh, capacity at the Bell Centre for this season. So Eric Engels on September 8th, which was yesterday as we're recording, uh, announced on his Twitter feed that the Canadian season ticket holders have been advised that the Bell Centre will host up to 7,500 fans and will be divided into zones of 500 people. Uh, The capacity being subject to review over the course of the season and the possibility looming that evolving health policy will lead to full capacity. Uh, admission to the Bell Center will be exclusive to double vaccinated people aged 13 years and older or children aged 12 and under. Anyone 13 or over will have to present proof of double vaccination through a VaxiCode QR code that they have in Quebec um, and official identification. So, That's set. Um, I know there's, I know there it's a political hot potato to talk about the vaccine passports, but anybody with children know that um, we've been providing vaccination immunization cards for our kids to schools for a century. So um, I think it's the right idea.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And, and and I think it's um it's interesting that while you're reading that out, I was just waiting to hear a certain um little bit of news from that and it didn't it didn't show up. And that was the proof of negative test. It really seems that it's you're vaxxed or you're not coming in.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Which which you know what? It's the it's the safest, it's the safest route. So you know, I'm all I'm all for it. I'm all for it. And the sooner, sooner the better that we have more people in those seats, the better. Um, we saw during the playoffs when it was you know 2500, 7500. It's going to be um, that next the, the a next level. But obviously, we're we're used to seeing a full house in the Bell Center anytime we've been there for a game. So hopefully, we can lead to that uh, as soon as possible.
0: Well, 7,500 will feel like 75,000 sweaters uh, Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, You know, I know the politics of this. Uh, it's, it's a hot potato, like I mentioned. Uh, I personally believe it's the right course. If you disagree with me, that is fine. If you don't want to be vaccinated, you as in, you know, general you, not you specifically, yeah, Matt. Yeah, yeah. If someone disagrees with that point of view and they don't want to be vaccinated, that that's their call. That's their choice. That's You're right. not being. There's no mandate forcing you to be vaccinated, and nor will you ever be. However, like anything else, there's consequences to actions, and just like if you were like you need a license to drive, you, that's a piece of paper. That's an identification. That's proof, you know, of something. Um, so, th- you know, legally. We're, they're allowed to do this so uh it, it's it's just one of those things it's just another step in our society that's it's just here so um
1: like for instance like for for these new um nhl governed um covid rules like this one's specific to the canadian to the bell center and the canadians yeah but uh, we've already seen within the nhl that uh Well, I'll throw it out there. Rocky Thompson right? was uh, an assistant coach or associate coach. I believe he was an associate coach with San Jose, and uh, he's unable to receive the vaccine due to undisclosed medical reason. And under the new mandate for the league, uh, under the new protocols, he's not permitted to fulfill his duties as a coach behind the bench, and he had to step down.
0: Yeah, and that's that's because of his close proximity to the players. That's right. In that position. That's right. Now, as someone who's just buying tickets to go to a game, there's clearly medical reasons why some people can't be vaccinated. Absolutely. And from my understanding, that is included uh, it's it's taken into account when it comes to these uh, QR codes and
1: that's right. um, So because under the new league rules, any person that goes within 12 feet of the players has to be vaccinated. Correct. Right. So it's pretty specific.
0: Yeah. And they're a private company and they're, they're just protecting their assets and the players are ultimately an asset for the league. So I I think we've spent enough time on that. We'll move on to the next step. And uh, we were just talking about players. So training camps are coming up real soon. The Canadians are going to start their preseason on the 25th of September playing against the Leafs. I think I believe it's a split squad game, but either way, um, NHL hockey. So who's a player at the Canadiens camp that's really someone you want to watch?
1: For me, it's going to be Romanov. I want to know if he's going to be able to take the next step. Um, sat out most of the playoffs, but he shows some flashes throughout the season. I, I think that he's going to have a lot to prove. And uh, bring in a guy like Savard that can play a hard-nosed defensive style. Um, Romanov is very much a defense first, but we know that he's got some offensive flair. And I think that uh, he's going to want to uh, jump into that next level of uh, taking his offensive game forward while still uh, polishing out. Those aspects of his defensive game, and I believe with with having someone like Savard as a defense partner, I believe he'll be able to take that next step.
0: If he is paired with Savard, I agree that would probably be the best course of action to allow him to grow his game. Um, <clears throat> for him, I'm going to be watching that sophomore slump. You know, it's the second year he um, he only played four games in the playoffs last year out of the 22 that the canadians had so my my concern is will he be able to showcase his offensive game enough to earn that top four role um i think he should be given that chance early in camp you know let him let him run with it let him try things because after after jeff petrie who's who's available to play yeah. that puck mover role
1: well after well, let's just say after peach the petrie and edmondson um pairing after that uh, the the pairings are kind of can be mixed up yeah. some people want to see um Chirot thrown in with uh, with savard kind of like the weber duo that they had um and some people want to see a little bit more offense with with romanoff or a, a little bit more speed let's just say that than Romanov.
0: it definitely a lot more mobility in yes. that I mean and you're not losing the physicality side so no not at all and he's strong positionally on defense it's just the the, uh, the offensive game like he, he's not going to ever be a real big point producer I figure like a 30-point kind of defenseman is you know what we're what we're looking at but after Jeff Petrie there's no real big puck movers I mean you got you got Brett Kulak yeah and then chris weidner that's right who who are both bottom pairing guys yeah so you don't really have anyone that can jump into a second pair and that's what you really that's what the canadians need so Romanov's going to be the uh, i think the top um top pick for that I, I know norlander's coming to camp and that's someone that a lot of people want to get an eye on Abs- and, absolutely and, yeah. and
1: and he's a guy that can come in and he can uh we've seen a lot of videos of him and how he can produce in the power play. And um, that's something that the Canadians have had a weakness in that position for a long time. Yeah. However, is he ready to jump into the NHL? Maybe not so much, but
0: yeah, he's got to adjust the North American game too.
1: But with a strong camp, he could make the squad. However, and I know we're going to get into this, a strong camp, a strong camp just can't, sometimes isn't enough just to jump in and we've seen that with other players before yeah so hopefully uh hopefully they the coaching staff really looks in in management really looks into the players at camp and that shine at camp and then look at the bigger picture as well and not rush yeah. someone into a position that maybe they're not ready for
0: looking down the road what's best for the individual as well absolutely. as the team absolutely yeah. we
1: don't want another like i'm not going to put a hit out there on, on but it was very much a need. That's the reason he made the team and he did have a very good camp, but we saw that, you know, maybe his defensive game wasn't the best, even though statistically he's the best defenseman ever play hockey. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yes, he is. Um, For me, however, uh, at this camp, I think, I mean, everybody wants to see what Cole Caulfield can do. He can keep going, but um, I think, I think for me, if we're really, you know, the one real name that I think we should all be watching is, is Drew Wang. I, yep. I want to see how Jonathan Drouin does. because
1: yep. It was nice be- just to see him at the golf tournament the other yeah, day, and exactly. you know, just to see him around his teammates and, uh, you know, smiling and having a good time with them and, uh, and, and in, anyone that spoke of him had some really good things to say. So yeah, yep. he's definitely on my list as well.
0: And um, this was announced today uh, as we record, it's uh, Thursday, the 9th. Uh, Chantad Maccabee at LDS uh, is going to have a one-on-one interview with Jonathan Drouin. That's going to air on the 20th of September. So I believe that's the second day of camp. So that's something to look forward to, but when camp opens and when he actually starts hitting the ice for games, for me, I want to see how he responds. You, you want to ease him in, but you also need to test out where he fits best in the lineup. So letting him play a game with uh, Suzuki on a line, letting him play a game with Dvorak on a line, because they were talking about Dvorak. He, you know, he, he does well with a playmaking winger. Well, that'd be a good fit, but let's see how they do. And then even trying with Evans or Paling for a game. Let him play all, all like four to five games in the preseason. Try it out. See if he can build some chemistry and kind of ease into a ease into the season. You don't want to be putting the pressure on him to produce right away because then it opens him up to criticism and the media could just start the ball rolling again. Cause you know how it gets one negative comment becomes 10 becomes a hundred,
1: especially and, with a French speaking player.
0: Exactly. A local guy who maybe made a mistake on a back check or something, you know, it's the most minor thing, especially in a preseason game, yep. it, it could end up causing an issue. So you let him kind of ease into things. And once he starts producing, you know, take him out of these sheltered positions and give him a little bit more. Because if he's producing, they can't really, they won't complain as much. So kind of ease him into it. That, that's what I'm going to be looking for at camp.
1: I'll take. a good look at Dvorak as well. Like I know, yeah. he was, I know he was, I know he was uh, given a big role in Arizona, but however, it seemed that he was, you know, right for the pick, and if anybody wanted him, well, Montreal, looking, yeah. Montreal jumped in pretty quick and picked him up. So, I'd like to see the role that uh, that he's going to be given, but it looks like Montreal is going to go into the season with a uh, that that is their one two,
0: guaranteed, guaranteed. Uh, Are they look? For him, is it? Are they looking for him to be a deno replacement, uh, a hybrid of a like a top six center versus a shutdown center, like the traditional second line center who can produce points and kind of match up against their second and third lines? Or are they looking for a guy who who's going to take deno's place and match up against top lines? Like, is that what they're looking for?
1: I think it's going to be a little bit of both. I, I think you're, I think you're going to see a guy like Evans. Um, maybe take the next step forward in his career as well and be given a little bit more opportunity. So he might be more of the Kakanyami replacement and then Dvorak kind of a hybrid of the two. And who knows? Like there's still time between now and camp. We might see a PTO. There are guys still available on the UFA side. Um, for me, a name would be Bozak that they might take a look at. Um, you know, veteran guy, can win faceoffs, can kill penalties, et cetera that might be someone that they might look at either as a PTO or they might just all that sign him to a cheap contract. He's made money throughout his yep. career. He's won a cop, et cetera. He's probably willing to sign cheap if he wants to continue to play hockey.
0: Yeah. He can join the blue notes North, all the frigging blues that are moving North now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, 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 again, that uh, for him, a PTO or a contract, it, it depends on what management and the coaching staff feel paling is going to bring to the table. Cause you That's have right. pay- Evans, uh, after Stefan Waite's comments in the media at 98.5 this week, mentioning they see Evans as a replacement for Denot. Um, So he's clearly in their plans. Bergevin talking at his last press conference about, you know, Paling having an, a legitimate chance to make the club and what they expect from him. So, you know, maybe they don't sign anybody and they just go with the young guys. But that kind of goes against the green with uh, with. <laughs> with the GM like George, who loves his veterans, that's right. But then again, he did just trade a first round pick for the first time in his tenure to get a center. Yeah. So is he done, or is that just a signal that he sees the center line for the Canadians being ultimately important this season? Okay. Can go either way on that.
1: Well, I don't think anyone really projected you get a team that go to the Stanley Cup final I don't really think that we projected them to lose as many players as what they did and like the big one obviously for me was Shea Weber nobody nobody really knew that was a really big bomb that dropped yeah that uh hey you guys are going to be without your captain he's probably never going to play again and Bergman was very quick to respond to the question where you name an interim uh an interim uh captain and he flat out said no yeah so Which, I think so I think they're trying to see if Weber is going to be able to return. He definitely didn't seem too confident when he was asked the first yeah. time.
0: I mean, it's it's pretty obvious they hope he does, but
1: I think they're leaving I mean, all those avenues open.
0: Yeah. And, they don't want
1: they don't want to throw a sea on somebody's sweater and then he comes back and yeah.
0: I mean, that could be two th- that could be a twofold reason. One, yeah. they maybe hope he comes back or two, they want to give enough of a gap between this captain and the next. It, it could be that, as simple as that. Um, now, we were talking about Jake Evans, and you kind of alluded to it uh, when it came to prospects, when we were talking about Norlander, uh, This is one question that's been brought up to me a few times online, and I thought it would be a good topic for the show. And that's, do we put too much pressure on our prospects too soon?
1: Depending on the prospect, Absolutely. Or if it's a need, absolutely. Yeah. Like I, I brought up the case of uh of, of of Mete. We can even say the same thing about Kakanyami. Uh we were at the draft when um when Kakaniami was picked. Um we were also actually we were uh, we were also at the draft that Mete was picked. <laughs> yeah, we were All Right? <laughs> so that was the same year uh Sergeyev was picked. Um with Mete, as I said, he has strong camp. He has strong camp. They needed a fuck moving mobile defenseman on the left-hand side. Nobody expected him to start the season paired up with Shea Weber. It happened though. And then you look at, you look at the, uh, with Kakaniemi, was it a reach picking him? It might've been. They definitely went out and they picked for, they picked for need. And we all know that they went out and picked for need for a center position. Given the players around him that were available. Obviously, no longer with the Canadians. Um, but it was another guy. He had a strong camp, and it was oh, how can we not put this guy in? And his and his strongest season so far has been his rookie season. And then since then, it's been it's been it's been slumps, inconsistency, and 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 some injuries yeah during the yeah. playoffs it seems that he's their best goal scorer or was their best goal scorer
0: yeah well he did step up his game in the playoffs but at this uh, offensively
1: but he still um, showed slumps
0: he still he was still highly inconsistent which yeah, i mean let's be honest at at his age big sense
1: that's right so, and a, lo- and I mean, a lot of people a lot of people are blaming the coach, a lot of people are blaming Burgevet. A lot of people like even in the playoffs last year, they're blaming Eric Stallman. And I said, Well, if you're not playing up to the standard of the coaching staff, you're not playing up to standard. Like, look at Tatar. Tatar's a hell of a player during the uh, during the uh, during the season. He didn't put up the points, but he wasn't he wasn't in those matchups. He wasn't in the he wasn't out there to be the goal scorer. He was playing the matchup lines on the Geno line, and that line did a very, very good job of doing that when he was playing.
0: Yeah, and came, uh, come playoff time, he he just didn't seem able to match that intensity level. Yeah. You know, continue with his offensive production or keep up on the defensive side. Yeah. So he 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 sat. And, and it's not like it's something new. It's happened on a few occasions yeah. with the Canadians but- with. With the uh, the Golden Knights with Detroit, so
1: so I'll go back. I'll go back really quick on on developing their prospects. I know a lot of people were very against them bringing in Jake Allen because they thought Caden Primo was going to be the next guy to come up and jump in and be the guy and uh, at least be a a two to carry price. We've seen some very good things at the AHL level. We've seen a little bit of. A little bit of uh, highs at the NHL level when Primo's been in, but ultimately he's not ready yet. And and I and I and I think that uh, another year in the AHL would be very beneficial for his career.
0: You know, uh, you look at the prospects that have come up for the Canadians, all the young players, and the ones that seem to become solid NHL players and kind of meet meet those. Those projections are the ones that have spent some time in lesser leagues, not necessarily Absolutely. the, Absolutely. not no, not just the AHL, but like yeah. Leckonen, for instance. They left him in Finland for a couple of years. He came in, and then boom, yeah. he is a solid NHL player. Yeah. So, it, so,
1: Jay, so Jake Evans, Jake Evans yeah. was drafted in 2014, yeah, out of the OJHL. And if people don't know what the OJHL is. There's a team in Trenton Ontario that's OJHL team, which is yeah it is not the highest level of hockey for no me and for me it's a step it's like a step down from like the OHL and the Q it and is. that kind of stuff
0: but when he was picked they they let him mature in yeah. uh, the NCAA for four full years
1: that's right yeah
0: then he played in the AHL for two full years they left him be. they let him de- mature and develop. Yep. And then he met that requirement. Now you, yep. So I mentioned Lekanin yep. uh, yep. Romanov is another one yep. who played in the KHL for a couple of years before he came over and he looked really good last year. He's still super young. So we're going to see what he's going to do next, but it's, it's those types of players that are left. Nick Suzuki, perfect example. Yep. He, he was left to play in the, in, uh, in junior for two more seasons. And then he stepped into the NHL and look at him going now
1: yeah so, and he was lighting it up at every level in in uh, in in the OHL and just yeah. in 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 the regular season the playoffs etc and yeah
0: he was a beast in the memorial cup i watched Absolutely. him play every game at the memorial cup live yeah. unbelievable yeah. so it's these players that have been given a little bit more time to mature not just physically but also mentally learning the game growing into their bodies the ones that have been Brought into uh, right away, guys like Galchenyuk and Kachanemi. Those are the ones that seem to trip, especially with the expectations that are piled onto them. Yeah.
1: Here, congratulations! You're a top six or top nine center with the Canadians. Yeah. Hope you can keep up.
0: We don't have any of those, so. Ta-da.
1: Yeah. The big so the big thing for me, and it's it's you're probably going to agree with this statement. No one gives a fuck about players out of the second round or out of the first round. No, it's seems uh, You, you case, look yeah. at all the media, you look at all the media, like look at this year, Logan Maya, not going to get into him. Controversial pick. A lot of people are saying that they shouldn't have made the pick. We'll just leave it at that. Okay. Caden Gooley. Kane Gooley Kane is going to be a nice defensive prospect. He's uh, likely, he's going to be my pick for the uh, World Juniors captaincy. That's probably going to happen. Uh Cole Caulfield, obviously he's going to be a top six guy on the Canadians this year. Then you start going down the list. They just lost Cockney Emmy, Paling drafted in 2017. He's got 28 games of experience so far. Um, shown some flashes, right? Shown some flashes. We'll see what, we'll see what comes from there. Um, then you start going down the list. Sergachev in 16 traded for Drouet. You got 15 with Juleson picked up on waivers from Florida. Sherback gone. Another guy that was picked up on waivers by the Kings, I believe. Uh, McCarran traded in a, uh, traded in a package that brought John Scott to Montreal. No, that was Tenorti. That was Tenorti.
0: That was Tenorti. Yeah.
1: That was Tenorti.
0: He was traded for for Dauphin. Dauphin,
1: Dauphin, yeah. yeah. Um, Then you got Galchenyuk, 2012. Another guy traded for Domi, which turned into Anderson. So I think that ended up working out pretty well. And then, you know, is there in 11. Tonorti's there in 10. Infamous Louis LeBlanc in 2009. David Fisher. Right, Fisher before (laughs) that. Or no, it was Crystal before that. Well, Crystal was a
0: second-round pick.
1: Oh yes, he was. He was just their first pick of that draft. Yeah, yeah. But but the, a lot of the a lot of the the finger pointing comes to first round picks. It's not it's not really necessarily development. It's first round pick development. What the Canadians have done and who's within the organization, who's still in the organization, who's been what in the organization, etc.
0: When it comes to that, you know, oh my God, look at the first round picks. They're all gone. Blah 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 blah. You look at all the other NHL teams, and for the most part, it's the same. The, about yeah. 75% of the picks that they picked in the first round are gone. Yeah. it's The average is about the same. But at the end of the day, does it really matter where the person was picked? The whole goal of the draft is to find NHL players. So you, Each year, you're going to want one or two who end up being NHLers.
1: Yeah. And I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not saying this to defend the Montreal Canadiens or no, anything no. like that. However, from 2010, okay, so they picked Tenori 22nd, is 17. He's still in the NHL. Tenorti is to a capacity as well. Yep. Uh, Galchenyuk's waiting for a contract right now. He was third, he's right? He was been fixed by the Leafs, but still wait for a contract. Uh, McCarran 25th overall. Sherback, 26. And what pisses me off is when they, when people start saying like, like, so, so for instance, the year that Sherback was drafted, okay. The year Sherback was drafted, he was drafted 26th overall and everyone's like, well, they could have got David Pasternak, like David Pasternak was picked 25th overall, he was already gone. So yeah. that argument is completely, completely mute. So you but I'm I said I'm not defending them at all, but you start getting these end of this end of the first round draft picks. You're not getting the more surefire thing of getting a top five pick. Montreal has had a couple. Um they've had a top ten in Sergachev, as I said, turn into Drew A. no longer with the team. Sometimes the draft's a shot in the dark. Well,
0: yeah, the chances of being an NHL player uh, clearly are higher, the higher your draft. Very much so. Uh, But um, the importance, it's not just you you can't really say, oh, my God, they failed at the draft because those players aren't here anymore. Well, yeah, the, the, the scouts wanted this guy. They drafted this guy, but they're not the ones that trade the guy away. That's on the GM. That's right. So you can you can complain all you want that they, they've been horrible on the draft, but a lot of the players they've picked are still solid NHL players. They may not be stars, yeah. but they're still in the they're still in the league. They're still producing. Um, I mean, guys like Sergeyev for not Sergeyev, uh, for instance, back, yeah. he was picked, like you mentioned, way later in the first round. And when you get to that point, you're looking at like a 50, 25 to 50 percent chance of even making it. He didn't. I mean, for yeah. whatever reason, he didn't. He was just missing something, and it wasn't like the Canadians are the only team that said, "You know what? We're going to pass on this guy." So,
1: a player that I always looked at was Zach Fukali, and I know you've seen Zach Fukali play quite a bit. Yeah, Fukali was a guy that could likely go in the first round. The year that he got drafted, he had forty-five wins that year, playing on a very stacked Halifax team, which
0: won a Memorial Cup.
1: All right, One a Memorial Cup, and you know, Fucali played at the juniors uh, for two years, et cetera. It was very good for them. Um, But he was a second round pick and people thought, you know, this is a a guy, he's from Laval. He's going to do this, going to do this. He's going to be a future Canadians goalie, et cetera. You know, he was drafted in 2013, still never played the NHL. And yes, he's, yes, he's made strides, and he's playing a hell of a lot better than what he was. But uh, with the with Washington's organization right now in Hershey, and this year had very good numbers. Uh, he was nine and two in eleven games with so a 9.32 save. But um, you you look at uh, you look at you look at the uh, the the prospects in, in in rushing them. Some of it's to do with positional needs. Some of them is to do with the draft themselves.
0: Yeah, the approach of the draft.
1: And then some of them is, is some of it's to do with, well, he speaks French.
0: Well, have you noticed that in the recent drafts in the last two, three years, um, the Canadians have been doing a little bit better with the outcomes. And there's a reason they've changed their approach to the draft. They're doing the shotgun method. So they they said, okay, well, we're going to identify centers and defensemen that we require. Yep. And then they just go and they pick as many of one as they can. So, in that specific year they'll end up with probably two or three players and a the centerman they can move to the wing like uh yan mishak yeah they're looking at him. he was drafted as a center probably get it up as a winger yeah and it's the same draft year as uh, luke tuck who who lit up his first year in the ncaa yeah he, he's looking like he'll be a sol- an nhl player in the bottom six yep. um caden gooley so there's three guys that have legitimate nhl chances right now so the The approach they took is a little bit different. It's what other teams have been doing. Like uh, Dallas has done that. And everyone loves their their drafting. But for the Canadians, it's not the drafting. It's the development side of the house. And we had people tell us online recently that the Canadians don't have – a team of coaches specifically for development, which was a complete falsehood. Absolutely. We corrected definitely
1: them. Do. We and, corrected they them. A, and they have a sports science uh, individual yes. and everything like that. And uh, it's just a new person in that position. It yeah. was a lot. It was a large right up until this year.
0: And Pierre Lard was the first person to, uh, to implement that plan on an NHL team. Yeah. So the Canadians began that, other teams took that and went with it, and we can argue that other teams have done a much better job. But we can't argue the fact that the Canadians don't have that and aren't using it. For me, it's it's the application of that sports science to each player. Are are they tailored enough? Like how they? Uh, for me, it, it's it's more providing the players what they need, but giving them the time to mature into uh into those those tools that they're providing you got to be you got to be mature enough to take that tool and use it absolutely that that's what i see is as the one major issue with the canadians if they can adopt that old detroit red wings style remember back in the well you may not because you're so young but the 90s when when they pick a guy they draft a guy they let, they, they make him mature in the minors for a couple of years before he's even called up. That's the approach the Canadians are going to have to start taking.
1: And maybe build up some of this chemistry with some of their players within some of these lesser leagues. So when you're, when they're ready to come up, Hey, I already know this guy.
0: Exactly. I I understand the the, uh, the team system, I know what kind of role like you've grown into the role that they want you to fill. So if you're drafted to be a top six center, you play top six center in the lesser the lesser leagues learn your role learn what you need to do build that chemistry and then when you finally get called up you have that confidence you have that experience that you can rely on when you have to play at a faster pace because that's that big it's a bigger jump than people expect when you go from the ahl to the nhl it's a huge jump in pace so if you have that confidence before you make the leap, you're the better for it. Mm-hmm. So that that's that's my issue with the Canadians development plan.
1: You also look at it, and I, I, I before I, I know we're we're getting onto our second sec, or our next segment soon. Yeah. Um, the, the one thing for me is is the fact that um, the the team in the AHL was was awful for years if you're not part and the thing is you're not part of a winning mentality you're not part of a winning team you've got rotating parts going in and out you've got constant call-ups in and out you're not you're not put into a position to succeed it's like okay you were the first first line guy or second line guy or top pair guy in Laval um or Hamilton or wherever the hell they were playing St. John's etc um you were, you were doing your role in that team. Now, okay. You're a fourth line guy or you're a, a six, seven guy in the Canadians. We need you to go out, crash bang. We need you to do this and that, where it might not be your forte to, to do that. you might not be able to, to develop at that role or succeed in that role. And then people look at you and they say, well, why the hell did we call this guy? Yeah, We can't do anything. Then he goes back to the, to a lesser league. It's oh, well, always a career age or whatever. Now you've got, Obviously, we've got a new coach in place in Laval uh, after a very successful year last year under Bouchard, uh, who moved on to Anaheim's organization. We'll we'll see how, we'll see what happens. Right now, the future's bright in my opinion. You look at the you look at the prospects. We named a few of them. You got uh, Norlander, Struble. Um, you've got uh, Sean Farrell, Luke Tuck, Cooley, Cooley, etc. Harris. Yeah, Harris. The future's bright to give the, give these guys an opportunity to shine. Don't rush them. They'll, they'll just be fine. Uh, some, some of the, some of the guys I named are definitely be NHL players. And even if a few of them light it up in the cage or in the, uh, in the AHL for a few years, so be it. It might turn into another, uh, Jake Evans situation. We might see these guys a little bit later in their, in their twenties. And they might still provide a, uh, they might still provide a, a little bit for the Canadians down the road.
0: Yeah, and just because you're good enough to play in the NHL doesn't mean you should be playing in the yeah. NHL. Like, Kotkaniemi, for instance, Gord Miller famously has talked about he should have gone back to uh, to Finland right away. Yeah. Giving him time to mature, that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah. let the, like, Bergeme likes to say, let the uh, the young guys decide what's going to happen, but you have to have more of a, a longer-term view. You can't be so myopic as... I need a player here now when you can just go out and sign some old guy. I I know in this year, he might be under the gun to make the playoffs to keep his job or feel like that's his legacy, but Bergeron is going to need to, or his successor is going to need to find some patience with the young guys because again, maturing, giving them time. That's what's missing. So, That's my two cents. You got uh, any, any more?
1: No, I think, uh, I think we're more than ready for, uh, for Kevin to come on here. All
0: right. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. We're going to go to a commercial and when we come back on the other side of that commercial break, we're going to be joined by Kevin Porter, uh, a Toronto area firefighter and paramedic who is fighting, uh, basically training to and fighting to earn himself a professional hockey contract. So stick around. We'll be right back.
2: Do you have a problem getting big city slams? Are you not getting the gains at the gym? Well, don't mortgage your future on rental supplements. Get Bergy Arms. Arms. will get you the gains you need. Bergy gets rid of all the bad attitude and builds better characters so you can get the gains you need. Get Bergy Arms. Bergy Today. Not a real product mate made May make you trade your favorite player for a mountain man. Do not use, if you're healthy,
1: if you want to loyalty, buy a dog.
0: And welcome back to Habs Unfiltered. Uh, I'm your host, Blaine Puttveit, and I'm joined now by, uh, by a special guest, Kevin Porter. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thank you. Uh, I'm really, really happy you were able to come on the show. I've been wanting you on here for a while, and I think... I think getting you on now is the perfect opportunity for for us to plug you. Got to just get you out there. More people see you, the better. Hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so for my listeners who may not know your story and who you are, can you give us a little bit of a background of what kind of, well, actually I'll, I'll, I'll bring it out now. You're going to be the, the star the background of relentless the kevin porter story that's going to air with uh, two back-to-back episodes on september 21st starting at 9 p.m eastern uh followed by two more episodes on the 28th of september and it's a whole series on hollywood suite on demand so fill us in on what this is about
2: oh man where do i start so i mean my hockey resurgence, if you will, um, you know, I had gotten back into hockey in 2010 and, you know, I was just chipping away at it. Um, I managed to play some games in the Federal Hockey League and I went to Sweden in 2016, 2016. Um, shortly after that, I was on, uh, I did an article for the Toronto Sun a gentleman in Toronto by the name of Ryan Maines um, saw the story. Uh, Ryan contacted me with regards to, uh, he was inquiring uh, this documentary series and I'm going to admit at first I was a little hesitant. I thought like, I'm just trying to play hockey here. I'm, you know, I'm doing everything I can. And and I had been, you know, working diligently at it for a couple of years and, uh, you know, getting a little bit of success and, and evolving a little bit. And, and so I met with Ryan in Toronto one day for lunch and um, he explained to me what what their goal was and, and we didn't really know how long it was going to go on for. And I don't think they kind of thought it was going to go on for as long as it did. Um, we ended up filming stuff for three years and I think just kind of, you know, they just, like I said, they evolved on their own naturally. I mean, I worked very hard at creating opportunities for myself. Um, you know, yeah. Relentless, I guess, in the pursuit of of trying to compete at the highest level, that I'm able to, and wherever that ends up, that's, you know, it'll be what it'll be. But, um, that, that's how the docu-series um, came about to be and, and we've left it open-ended. So we're not, uh, we're not quite finished.
0: <laughs> well, no, not until you get that, uh, at least get another tryout. So for those who follow me on social media, they may have, uh, they may have noticed some of your posts where you're posting your workouts and your on ice, uh, your on ice workouts, especially the, uh, the speed ones where you basically blow the doors off NHL speed records.
2: Well, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say blowing the doors off of all of them. I mean, if, uh, if I was a little tired one day, you know, they'd probably blow by me, no problem. But, you know, I, um, yeah one of definitely one of my my assets and like i can turn it on and off when i have to or kind of at will so it's one thing i've always worked really diligently at um was my stride when i was younger used to be very choppy and that i've worked with skating coaches over the years and uh you know it's it's always a work in progress right like it's you just have to keep going back to the basics all the time and, and never neglecting them um And then we'd work on a lot of parachute work sprints. Like I do a lot of face off sprints, um, from neutral zone, from the D zone and and just working on linear crossovers, um, building speed, you know, I've changed my skate profile. I'm really, really, um, very cognizant of cognizant of my skates and my sticks are meticulous. It's crazy. Um, you know, the steel I use, the radius, I have the blades, sharpened or, or the depth I have them sharpened the radius I have on my skates. And um, yeah, that's how I've been able to kind of work diligently to get my time down. It's just kind of a fun thing. It's for me, it's um, it's just at a point. I always do a lap at the end of my workout um, because I don't like to take too much time away from it. At the beginning, to get all my core work in and so I figure at the end once more I'm ready, Um, We'll do a couple laps and see what my time is. So that's fine.
0: Now, your workouts, you tend to do them early in the morning. Um, Can you explain to my listeners why that would possibly happen? Most professionals work throughout the day, but you have a certain time constraint.
2: Yeah, so I'm a professional firefighter and paramedic. So my shifts are kind of all over the map days, nights, weekends, evenings, stats, holidays, you name it, we do it. So what I try to do is after my nights on the fire department or at ambulance, I book in my uh, my skating time, especially, uh, first thing in the morning. So I go right from work, the fire hall, EMS, I go right to the arena, um, I get on the pad before, you know, anyone else is on there. It's nice and fresh. The ice is good. There's no one in the building. It's kind of quiet. It's nice. It's, um, I get there usually with about an hour and 10 minutes to spare. So I've got time to mentally prepare for the training. Um, I have a really uh, kind of a strict routine. I like, you know, hockey guys are real creatures of routine, I think, and, and girls, they have, um, so I get, get there, I get my music and my coffee, and, you know, my hydration stuff, my BioSteel, you know, headphones on, I go in, gear in the room, I go off, I do my little warm-up, my mental prep, I look at the ice, uh, I visualize what I want to do for practice and how I'm going to do it. And then right before I go back in the dressing room, I just take five minutes and I kind of just, I call it the Braden holpie Like this, you know, or my camillary, you know, my camillary, you know, it, but it's visualization and it actually really works. And like, I'm so into it and I'm almost in like a trance when I, get on the ice and I've already kind of mentally rehearsed roughly what I'm going to do. Right. Uh, we always have a practice plan of what I'm working at and then, uh, that I'm able to execute because I am a huge proponent of not wasting time on the ice. Um, you'll never see me try in Michigan's you'll never see me try. And, you know, I just don't like to do that on the ice and, and I like to utilize every second I'm out there. So.
0: Yeah, I've noticed quite a, uh, quite a lot that uh, your practices are set up to be game situations.
2: You picked up on that, eh?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm watching, so I can get tips, too.
2: Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, we, we don't like to incorporate, like, when I work with Eddie Choi, we collaborate on most, if not all the drills. And also, depending on how my night is, my days at work, like, a lot of times I'm there, and I'm kind of under the gun myself, because I'm usually. A little tired from working and sometimes mentally more sometimes i'm more mentally tired than physically and when you're trying to do you know real finite things with your hands and a lot of puck movement and, and tips and things what i found over the years blaine is if i can work in a pardon me like a semi-tired capacity and adaptive evolve overcome when i do go to the rink on a day off like when i'm not working the night before i feel like a million bucks And I can perform at an even higher level. So I'm doing most of this. I'd say probably 90% of the video you see me in, um, especially skating wise is after a night shift. It is what it is. Right? So like on my days off, off, I work as a paramedic. So when do I skate? Well, I have to work. I work ambulance to make extra money to pay for ice. So when am I going to skate after the fire department? So that's, it is what it is. You either do it or you don't.
0: That's right well that's why it's called relentless it's relentless in the pursuit now you chose to leave the game when you were younger can you explain to my listeners why you did that
2: yeah absolutely so growing up in kitchener uh, about an hour west of here uh played all my minor hockey in kitchener you know waterloo um i had an injury when i was you know 16 years old my, my mom my nana passed away when i was 16 my mom died for uh about five months after that I had my hand slashed at a midget tryout and um my hand was broken I was in a cast for probably six six or eight weeks could have been a bit longer um you know it just got real crazy that time of my life um I took some time off you know because of the broken hand the teams were made it was kind of like a draft year to the OHL type of thing that I missed out on and uh then I just started working and hanging out with buddies and going out traveling. And it was just, you know, I got into the gym a lot um, to help manage my anger frustration also got into kickboxing. So I had some outlets um, to help deal with, you know, kind of the loss of my mom and Nana and, you know, the things I went through as a youngster, my parents were divorced when I was eight, just like a lot of, of kids have gone through it and, and it's important to find an outlet. So, I had those outlets. Hockey wasn't one of them at the time, but I had constructive outlets. Um, and that's the reason why I stopped playing hockey. And, uh, you know, years later we picked it up. again. So.
0: so what, what really sparked that, uh, that love of hockey to return? Well,
2: I always loved hockey. And I think when I got on the firearm in Brampton, we had seven hockey teams, like there was not a fire department in Canada that I think had seven hockey teams. We'd go to tournaments and, and we had quite the team we'd win all, all the time. I mean, with, with seven teams, you know, you're looking at, you know, 21 guys, a team. So you like, imagine all the guys, we actually had our own inter, like fire department league. We had like four to, I think we had four or five or six teams. And we would all play on Tuesdays. Initially it was Tuesdays and then flip-flopped around a bit based on the schedule demands, but, um we'd go to tournaments and just like clean house like oh there's like in at branton abc division the old-timer guys i I forget what the name of the team was called but we'd win like almost all the divisions so i really got back into hockey with the guys at work and then uh in 2010 i had a bit of a an accident with a bunch of my crew members uh at a a house fire and i just and it just kind of like hit a. switch. I was like what am I doing like you know I love the job I love being a fireman I love being a paramedic but something was missing you know and I just I don't know like I just I was on the I went to the hospital in in the ambulance with paramedics that I work side by side with and I was just like I gotta think of something I gotta change something like something's gotta and then it was just the hockey you just I'm like I gotta do this it was like a switch you know so yeah, and it just and then it just evolved from there. So, just kind of the way it's worked out.
0: Well, you already you already had that background with the work uh, with uh, working in the gym and the physical aspect of your day to day job. So you had a little bit of a head start there. But what what got you tied in with uh, Eddie Choi?
2: So it's funny, like. I was on the, I can tell you exactly how it happened. So I was on the, um, the practice pad with uh, Vanessa Crone. Vanessa is an ex-Olympian uh, skater and she's my skating coach. And I had Eddie on my social media and uh, Eddie's a great guy, really good friend of mine. And <laughs> I'm on the ice with Vanessa and I look up into the stand and he's up there smiling, he's waving at us. He's like, hey, Kev, like we knew each other. And I'm like, that's Eddie Choi, (laughs) you know, but I never met him. And then, uh, Vanessa, Vanessa and I, we were in the change room. I was getting, you know, undressed after the practice and he knocks on the door and he's like, can I come in? And, you know, of course, like, come on in. It was just, we're just talking about, you know, the work we did, but he comes in and, uh, I said, Hey, like, why don't you come out sometime? And his schedule is very, um, flexible. Uh, and he, he's just, he's been coming along for the ride with me ever since. And uh, we've done some work together and, and trained some other kids and we have a lot of fun.
0: And that's, that's the main, if nothing else comes of it, at least, at, at least you got the experience of, of doing this. So, but you oh, did have sure. some successes. You, you mentioned. Uh, oh, absolutely. You mentioned playing in Europe.
2: Yeah. So, um, I played a few games with steel city warriors in the federal hockey league. And one of the goaltenders was like, you know, why didn't you come to Sweden? Like he, he was going to Sweden the next year. And so I I got hooked up and I started, you know, videotaping on my workouts. And then we sent some video to some teams and, uh, this agent that, that my, my goaltender worked with, uh, hooked it up. His son, um, his wife is from Sweden. His son was currently was playing in Sweden at the time. Um, he spoke the language. So communicating and facilitating kind of the, the, uh, the setup was, was real easy. Um, and yeah. And then I went over there and, and had a great time and it's a beautiful country. I, I love it so much there. I just, I can't wait to go back. Um, I probably would have been back already if it wasn't for COVID for a holiday, but it's just, you know, like for everybody, COVID is just kind of, um, ruined a lot of plans for people or, you know, deferred gratification. So, you know, at some point we'll get back over there, uh, for holiday.
0: And you mentioned the, the pandemic, what has the pandemic done to slow down, um, your chances?
2: Well, I, I wouldn't say it slowed anything down for me. I'll be brutally honest with you. When, when this hit, I remember it was, uh, So well, March 13th was our last skate, uh, in 2020, March 13th, I remember being on the ice on rink one at the MasterCard center at the time it was called. And I'm like, man, like things are going to get shut down. Like, I don't know how long I'm going to be off the ice for, you know, the season's basically, you know, from what I understood, basically right off. I mean, our, our league shut down. I, I had gotten two games in with, um, uh port Huron, and then the season got shut down i was you know i was sad for that i was sad for the guys who were like i was playing part-time but there were guys that were playing like full-time and then been there since the beginning of the season and you know they were making money and now it's like like everything's just shot shot to hell so um it was extremely frustrating for a lot of people but i said to myself okay like under no circumstances, I'm going to let this cripple me. I'm going to figure out a way I'm going to train at home. I'm going to, you know, if I have to get rollerblades, I get rollerblades. If I have to like jump on a plane at some time to go train, I had, you know, some contacts throughout North America and Europe, places I could go that maybe weren't in the same COVID situation that never ended up happening because things were kind of open, close, open, close here. But I just kind of made a deal with myself. I said, you know what, I'm not going out like this. I've come too far. I've done way too much work. I spent way too much time, effort and money on this. And, uh, there's no excuses. And yeah, it was just like a machine. Like I, I bought a, an airdyne bike I'd ride at home with my hockey gear on. Uh, people probably thought I was insane, but I was trying to mimic being in that gear. Right. Um, the movements, uh, like just being hot in the gear. I try to mimic that. Um, I was very fortunate i had access to uh, uh muay thai club so i was able to train and my conditioning probably to be honest with you through covid probably got better because i changed so many things and evolved my training i, I had to adapt and i come back and i say adapt evolve and overcome is because that's exactly what you have to do in a time like that there's no you can't sit around and feel sorry for yourself or you're just going to you know, you're going to just regress so much. You won't be able to play catch up. So, um, for me, it was just more about getting on the ice consistently. And when that couldn't happen, I just had to, you know, default to some other things just to keep the conditioning up and, and then keep my head in the game, watch a lot of videos and, uh, and stay positive.
0: Well, uh, if you ever get really desperate, you just ju- need to join the Navy Reserves and I can hook you up with teams, no problem. <laughs> we even pay for equipment.
2: <laughs> Perfect. Yes. Um, you guys pay for sticks?
0: Sticks? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sticks, gloves, helmets, pants, the whole thing.
2: Perfect. Love it.
0: I mean, tax dollars at work, right?
2: <laughs> I pay enough tax. <laughs> yeah, we all. Pay <laughs> that
0: tax,
2: yeah. Um,
0: what was the last thing? Yeah, there was one more thing. you So this series, they followed you for several years, and they filmed, they filmed you training. Did they film you uh, while you were working uh, on your day job as well? So they can get an idea of that
2: so that was talked about and then when COVID hit we just couldn't do it we just it just couldn't happen there was just way too many legalities and i mean the poor the paramedic students they couldn't even come out for months on end right we had no fire students we had no paramedic students so the thought of bringing a a film crew or a guy with a camera just yeah. wasn't going to happen we weren't even allowed visitors at the hall we're still not right so it is what it is and um you know we we captured a lot of cool stuff um and had a lot of fun doing it so yeah that's what the only thing we didn't cover was actually being at work
0: yeah and which is maybe I, a good
2: because i would have asked real bad <laughs> so, but that's okay
0: it's, it's always hard to look really good when you're running around all sweaty in the, uh, the fire gear.
2: Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, at that point, it's almost, I mean, people film me anyways on scene now, right. You get off the fire truck or the ambulance and there's people with the iPhones that are filming you. So, you know, you're just, you're doing your job and you know, people are doing it, but you're so focused on your task that it's, it's not really a big deal. Right.
0: Yeah. And I, uh, I want to just put a, to let you know that I appreciate all that you've done as a first responder. I mean, working through COVID is a horrible time. It's a horrible addition on top of the, the extra burden basically on your day-to-day jobs. So I want to thank you for that as well.
2: You know, I appreciate it. You know, there's two ways you look at it. I mean, I'm just very fortunate to have secure, well-paying jobs and you kind of know, you got to know what you're getting into, right? It's like, okay, like I'm a firefighter. I go to fires, MVCs, a million things. I'm a paramedic. I go to all these medical calls and car accidents. And it's just, it's what we do. And, you know, um, it's funny, for the first few months, it was actually not so bad because people were so frightened to call 911. People were actually really frightened to go to the hospital. The busiest part has been, I wouldn't say post COVID because COVID's still around, but, um, people really neglected their health for a number of months. So now all these other things creep up that they didn't pay attention to. Right. So that's kind of the issue we're seeing now. as well as COVID cases, but you know, I just kind of look at it, Blaine is I'm just really fortunate to have well-paying jobs in this crazy time where a lot of people were losing their jobs, right. Or working from home, stuck working at home and, you know, some people don't like to work at home. I'm able to get out and socialize with my crewmates, And, and, and it was kind of normal for me that way. But um, a lot of people went going through a lot of things, with mental health issues and money problems. And so we're pretty fortunate that way. So could be yeah. worse, could be worse.
0: It definitely could be worse. Uh, I understand that part where I was lucky as well, getting to work on the ship with my shipmates and we we basically took off on our own for a few months but that's fairly normal for us but there was there's some changes but for the most part it was a normal deployment so I was surrounded by about 250 of my closest forced friends
2: yeah oh for sure
0: (laughs) so now did you
2: get vaccinated early on did you get vaccinated fairly early and no I guess no no
0: I just got my second, my second dose here just recently.
2: So. Okay. So, I mean, that's another thing too. Like we were vaccinated, uh, the paramedics, paramedics and nurses were first. So we were like January of, of this year, we were, we were done the first three weeks. Right. So that gives you, it gave me anyways, kind of peace of mind as well. You know, you could still get it, but you might not get it as bad. Right. And, in I mean we were going to COVID cases. Sometimes every call every day for like weeks on end at the fire department or with paramedic services was just COVID nonstop. So that gave some peace of mind and, and our PPE we have and protocols. And you know how it is. It's just uh you know, follow your protocols and fingers crossed. So
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think um Yeah. So the the relentless is going to be seen on the Hollywood suite and Hollywood suite on demand starting now. Uh, the first episodes will air on the 21st of September and the second pair of episodes, parts three and four will be on September 28th. Uh, can you uh, tell my listeners where else they can find you?
2: Uh, you can find me. I, I just, I have to look at my phone just so I give you the right, um, handles because so okay twitter it's kevin porter 10 some people remember this off the top of their heads and i just i just don't and let's see the old instagram is uh it's probably something similar because we're a creature creature of habit kevin porter 11 what do you know 11 my number so i prefer 11
0: i don't blame you it's uh it's a good number. It's a Kevin Sakagoevu, Kevin Kevin Muller. You know, good solid number. Yeah, exactly. All uh, right. So I want to thank you for coming on the show, and I I really hope that this this uh, docu series helps open some eyes and gets you that door open that I think you deserve.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm just you know, I keep it simple. I'm just going to keep working hard. And then, like I said, uh, documentary or no documentary, I would still be doing all this regardless. So um, yeah, like I said, they just came on for the ride. I was going to do this here regardless. So um, yeah, it's been a great a pleasure and, and thank you so much for having me on. And uh, yeah, it was a great time and hope to chat again soon.
0: Absolutely. You're always welcome back here.
2: Okay, Blaine. Thank you so much. Take care. Be safe. You too. Take care. All right. Ciao.